Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have the Rachel Dorsey here to talk all about goal writing and all answering all those things that you want to know from her. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be able to sit down and talk for a little bit. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming an SLP and what you're doing now. Oh man, that's a lot to uh, <laughs> summarize quickly. Okay, so I am a, I'm autistic. I also have ADHD and I start with that because those are essential to my sense of identity. I'm also a speech-language pathologist, and I became a speech-language pathologist prior to knowing that I was autistic. I mean, I got, I was diagnosed about two years ago, and I became a speech-language pathologist. Looking back, you know, I first was drawn into linguistics because I really loved the, like, of pattern finding, syntax, and phonology, and everything like that. But I was exploring speech language pathology and did some observations and volunteer work. And some of those were with autistic clients. And I noticed that I really resonated with the clients, not just the autistic clients, like a lot of the clients. I really understood the desire to have this 
bond with others in a way that I felt like I wasn't really getting. And I saw that in observation. And so that resonated with me. And so I decided to pursue speech language pathology. And, you know, turns out several years or what, like six years later, I understood, I came to understand why I've always kind of felt this sense of wanting to have these deep bonds with others that I'm not quite finding. We're on like different wavelengths and every, yeah, everything kind of came into place. And, and so, with, yeah, with understanding I'm autistic, that really helped with my sense of identity, but then also like understanding why I, I connect so well, particularly with autistic clients. So can you explain more of how you've used the relatability to help you be a better SLP? Yeah, I mean, I think I've made a tremendous effort to reflect and be self-aware and reflect on like how my just being impacts others. And at the same time, I, with autistic clients, I mean, that's right now in my private practice slash consultancy. That's what I, that's the population I I see autistic clients. So their point of view, more often than not, like, I get it. I just, it just makes sense to me, even if it's something that I have never done or something that I never had like a difficulty with myself, there's a lot of commonalities in just within being autistic. Like I can give an example, like, you know, autistic people often relate to each other, relate like, or want to relate to others by going forward with the thing that takes up the most emotional space to them, which is why you get Uh, a lot of going right forward with like the special interest because that is just so important. I just want to like bombard you with all of that right away because it's so important to me and I want to create a bond through that. And so even though, and it's not just special interest, it can be like a tremendous like anxiety that someone is having that is taking up a lot of emotional space. And so even though like, I never went forward like discussing inappropriate th- or things that would be like uh it off topic or something. Oh, not necessarily off topic. I mean, yeah, I'll, yeah, off topic. But even though I never went forward, no, I've certainly done things that are off topic. No, <laughs> uh, even though I've I've never gone forward like you know talking about like my sex life just. Or like my wanting to, you know, that as like a teenager, at like right off the bat to someone I didn't know, I understand that for that autistic teenager, that is carrying so much emotional space. And that is something that they want to talk about and create a emotional, you know, a, a bond through talking about that particular thing that's important to them right now. So even though things aren't exactly the same, 
I understand it. Can you give advice to someone who can is listening to this and saying, I have a student, I know exactly that I do that all the time. As soon as I go to pick them up that speech, they're jumping and telling me something going on or having some sort of thing right away that they want to tell me about. Can you explain a little more why it's important to embrace that conversation with these students? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, with the with what I just mentioned about like jumping right into like sex, that's some, that's that is violating another person's consent. And so that is something that I think should be worked through. But I mean, if it's a student that is just so excited to tell you about like an episode of a television show that they saw last night and kind of go right into it and talking about the the various you know, plot and all the details and, and don't, don't even give you time to speak, just listening to that is... And I want to say not just listening, but listening and acknowledging in your head that this student, like wanting to have a sincere bond with me and just like, yeah, embracing it and going forward with it. And then for whatever speech and language goals you have, I I hate to say use the interest because that kind of implies a, well, we're taking this thing that the autistic student that loves so much and we're using it in a manipulative way so I would say in like a genuine with like being genuine a genuine level like find the joy and what they find joy in and bond over it and you know be really creative about different ways to incorporate that thing into various into various goals or various like activities that you're doing, not to just like get them to participate, but to truly bond throughout the whole session, the whole time you have with them. Love it. Love it. Can you explain a little more for someone listening who might not be fully understanding about this whole neurodiversity movement that's going on? Yeah, so the neurodiversity movement is part of the, I mean, I guess I'll start with like, what is neurodiversity? Neurodiversity is just basically that all of our brains are different. And, and that's, it's pretty simple. All our brains are different as a result of environmental and genetic factors. And then the neurodiversity paradigm goes further with that and says, like, yes, all brains are different and brains that are particularly different, that diverge from the mean, the typical brain, I'm using ER quotes right now, those divergent brains or neurodivergent brains aren't inherently bad or aren't deficient. It's just a natural variation of human existence. So then the neurodiversity movement, which grew out of the the broader disability rights movement, goes even further at the neurodiversity paradigm. It's like, yes, all brains are different and different brains doesn't mean bad brains. And we're going to advocate for equal treatment and access and support, you know, in, in the world that we live in. Love it. 
So explain how this movement and everything you've learned from your experiences has shaped the way you write goals for students. Yeah, it's shaped the way I write goals tremendously. Also just like, I mean, I did itinerant school work for about four years and just seeing some of the barriers there, difficulties that autistic students face, and then now doing private practice still seeing difficulties students face. Like it was a com- combination of what impacts like my goal writing. And the things that really stick out to me as far as like what to target are things that sometimes are targeted, but often aren't. Like There's often goals of like, okay, the student will identify the perspective of others and, you know, problem solve the communication breakdown or whatever. And that type of a goal presumes that the autistic student is at fault and it is up to the autistic student to repair whatever happened. It doesn't take into consideration that there are two sides here. So I think perspective taking is really important, but everyone can benefit from perspective taking. And furthermore, if an autistic student is equipped with the knowledge of autistic communication styles and non-autistic communication styles, that student will really have the framework with which to understand the other's perspective, whether that's autistic or non-autistic, and understand, oh, it's not like I did I'm I did something bad. I'm a bad person. It's just that there's a communication mismatch going on here. So that's really worry, but in a goal, like I I embed, like provided an explanation of autistic and neurotypical communication styles through videos and and books and the and I just embed that in. I mean, that was just one example. Things like self-advocacy goals are like really well intended, but don't take into consideration what needs to happen for a student to get to that place. And for a lot of students, like they don't even, something's going on in here and they, they don't have any idea what is even going on. So then we need to work on the student having some sort of idea of how their bodily sensations relate to emotional, relate to their emotion. Can I even identify their bodily sensations? And then from there, once they get kind of a better idea of what what is going on, because a lot of autistic students and people can't tell their emotional state, they're alexithymic, including myself. I mean, where was I going with that? They can't recognize, yeah, yeah, they can't, like, how are they going to advocate for themselves? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so then if you don't really know that, then you can't really advocate for yourself. So, I mean, there's self-advocacy in forms of dissent and denying and things like that. 
And those can really, like, there are no prerequisites for self-advocacy. Like, it, those types of things. I'm more so talking about being able to, you know, understand that something is wrong and identifying that and then identifying something that could help and then having the courage to go and do that. There's a lot of steps involved. You can't just jump to just asking for help. You have to go back a little further and teach the other things and making sure they're aware of it. So, so true. So, so true. Why is it so important for these students to have that sense of identity, especially when it comes to working with these students and these goals? Yeah, I mean, like fostering positive self-identity is, I mean, that's critical. If there's a lot of research to back up that autistic adults prior to getting diagnosed as teenagers or as adults thought that they're they're bad people, thought that they're broken, thought that they were, you know, I mean, including myself, like thought that I thought I was just a broken neurotypical person. But it it, you know, it turns out I'm a perfectly reasonable autistic person. And there's a lot of deficit-based language and discussion of autism just everywhere. And especially early on being equipped with like a a young autistic child knowing that they're autistic and being equipped with that knowledge and people say like okay well my kid is three and non-speaking and we're just trying out proloquo to go with them like how can my kid possibly understand and they might, they probably don't understand the whole complexity of it, but using like the language, like autistic autism at a really, at a young age, I mean, honestly, I feel like a lot of, we, we should be discussing neurodiversity at a young age with all children because we talk about, we talk about race and ethnicity and religion And we're getting more into discussing different types of families and gender and sexuality and those things in a child-friendly way. And I feel like that neurodiversity kind of goes right along with that. And so anyway, I'm kind of steering off. But yeah, the, the identity piece is really critical to help provide a barrier against societal stigmas that unfortunately still exist. So, so true. So true. What does it mean to write strength-based goals and why is it important? Writing strength-based goals means writing goals that help the autistic student. They presume competence. They understand that the it, in the goal it it, it and the, in the clinician understands that it, it can be hard to, to measure the abilities of someone that's a different neurotype than you, and just recognizing that itself it means not seeing yourself as a a savior of of the poor autistic children. 
that we're not completing them, that they're perfectly complete on their own just by existing. I guess specifically it within goals, things that I include in my goals would be like embedding in the supports right just right in there and ac- like the accommodations right in there. Like, yes, I know it says on the IEP under accommodations that they're going to have access to their AEC device all the time, but we know that that doesn't always happen. So I'm putting it in the goal. And now if that is not the case, that's impacting my ability to do my job and take data for my job. So it protects the student more. It also means uh, strength-based goal writing also means respecting like all forms of communication, not just the most symbolic forms. It means if it, if a client is like, you know, kind of swatting your hand away, like they don't want your hand there, stop it. So respecting like actions, body language, facial expression, written word, drawings, all of these also embedded in the goal because multimodal communication, just saying that isn't enough. It needs to be specific so that if you write the goal and then the next day you quit your job or you get very sick and need to leave, the next SLP sees that goal needs to essentially know exactly what to do to for that student or client to 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 be yeah to meet the goal and be successful and how and in ways we're going to respect this this student by by respecting all communication modalities can you give an example Oh, and the, another one. Full, a full goal. <laughs> I mean, I can you know, just one. Any scroll and stop. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can look one up right now. Okay. So because of all of this um, embedding, goals tend to be lengthy, but that's worth it. <laughs> oh, this was for a presentation I gave. It. it doesn't have the measure right in it, but I can improvise that at the end. Sure. Okay. So this was for a case study of a 15-year-old autistic child who has high support needs and an intellectual disability. All right. So given unrestricted access to emotional, sensory, and executive functioning supports, I have in parentheses, list them here, mm-hmm. and unrestricted access to AAC, clinician modeling, and faded hand under hand prompting, child will self-advocate refusal, requiring assistance, express preference and disapproval, emotional or sensory overstimulation and social preferences. Oh yeah, because this student preferred to just lay back and listen mm. as opposed to like really like being in there, uh, you know, socializing and perfectly content laying back. Using multimodal communication, including their AC device, American Sign Language, Modified Sign Language, vocalizations, verbalizations, actions, gesture and body language. And then I would say on 
I know opportunities, people have different thoughts on that, but I use, and you know, I, I make it clear in, in the course that I have that this isn't a data keeping course. And, and 80% of opportunities as measured by clinician checklist, language sampling, informal observation within the natural setting. Yeah. Love it. So it's lengthy, but it is written specifically to protect and empower the student. Wow. I love it. Anything else that we didn't cover that we, we want to make sure everyone is aware of when it comes to writing a goal and treating students with autism? Well, I would now be an all right time to mention my course. Yes, please do. Please do. Okay. So I have a, a course on goal writing for autistic students. But before I plug that, it's important to me that I acknowledge that the projects that I work on and the work I do would not be possible without just all the years of labor from past and present long-standing autistic advocates, including the Autistic Network International founding members, the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network, and the Autistic People Color Fund, and Foundations for Divergent Minds, the latter of which influenced a particular aspect of my course, a client considerations a part of my course. So yeah, the course goes through a discussion in the beginning, like a lecture-based discussion of autism, neurodiversity, and traditional goals that we see, and then what strength-based goals look like, or, you know, some components of them. And then we get into eight case studies, or you're given de-identified IIPs and reports, and I work alongside me in creating goals for these clients. And I worked really hard for the, the case studies to represent situations that real world SLPs, particularly school-based SLPs, encounter. You have a transfer student from out of state and their IEP gets lost in the shuffle. And then like, what do you do as far as you haven't met them yet and you need to write goals and like, what, what do you do then? Or the student you're writing for is in a more behaviorally based like ABA program, which is at odds with the neurodiversity movement. And so how do you write goals for that student that aren't so radically neurodiversity affirming that you get a big, long discussion with your supervisor possibly penalize like situations that are real life, not just the, like the perfect situation every single time. That's amazing. That's amazing. I know I will be checking out that course because I know I have some students that in mind that I would love to be better writer of goals for. And I know I have students coming up my way next year that I know I will definitely be needing your support and help with. So thank you so much, Rachel. We're going to have links to everything, her course, how to find her all in the show notes. So definitely make sure you check that out over at speechtimefund.com slash podcast. But Rachel, let everyone know where can they find and learn more about you? Yeah, so my website is www.dorseyslp.com. My Instagram handles are dorseyslp. On Facebook, you can just look up Rachel Dorsey Autistic SLP and you'll find me. 
yeah, I feel like that's pretty much, that's where to find me. That's awesome. And Rachel, I always end my episodes with a joke because jokes are just fun. So, and this one is actually perfect because you guys can't see this, but Rachel has a cat. So this one is perfect. Why are cats so good at video games? Why are cats so good at Because they have nine lives. Oh, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Thank you. So, you're welcome. I figured it was appropriate to do a cat joke. So yeah. thank you so, so much, Rachel. Everyone go check Rachel out on Instagram. Check out her course. Check out her website. I promise you won't regret it. And this episode is always here to, for you to listen to again when you need a jolt of inspiration. So thank you, Rachel. And until yeah. next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys. <laughs>